0: With us right now, the author of The Art of Selling Your Business, John Warlow, and you're also found on the web at builttosell.com. John, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Josh, good to be with you. Well, uh, let's talk about selling a business, shall we? (laughs) This is the episode. So, um, and, and, you know, obviously one thing that I want to hit on and I think, you know, want to focus on is that. Just because you don't want to, just because you're not selling your business this year or next year doesn't mean we shouldn't be thinking about that right now. Absolutely. I mean, the idea is to build it so that you could
1: sell. You know, I I do speeches occasionally for business owners, EO groups, and stuff like that. And I'll and I'll I'll ask them, like, like, how many of you guys want to sell your business? And like, no hand will go up in the air, maybe one. (laughs) And then you say Okay. Let me ask a different question. How many of you would like to know that you could sell your business? And like every hand goes in the air, right? Because we all want the, the idea that we're building an asset that one day we can cash out of. Whether it's your 401k, your house, your business, like the idea is that you can sell it. And so I think running it so that it
0: would be attractive to an acquirer from day one gives you the ultimate poker hand. Yeah, and that work begins early. It's not like okay, um, look, I'm getting to the point, uh, and I want to sell in six months, so now I'm going to start thinking about making some change. You know, making some adjustments around here. <laughs> this is yeah. These are yeah. these are decisions that we make long in advance if we're, if we're doing this right. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and and I think one of the biggest decisions we come to very early in a business trajectory is how to grow, right? So most of us build a business two, three, four hundred thousand dollars in sales, and then you kind of have this kind of fork in the road where you say, like, how do I grow? Do I go find more customers, or do I cross sell my existing customers? And most people have heard that it's like eight times easier to cross sell your existing customers a new product. Mm. The problem with that is it makes you a mile wide and an inch deep. It makes you less attractive to an acquirer because acquirers buy companies they couldn't easily replicate. And if you're just selling a bunch of commoditized services to a few customers, very easy to replicate that. Mm. The opposite though, is if you become the world's best at doing one thing, it's harder to grow but man, it makes you irresistible. I'll give you an example, Josh, because I think it helps. Stephanie Breedlove built a payroll company. All she did was payroll for parents who have a nanny to pay. Very, very niche. She hit $300,000 in revenue. And she's like, how do I grow? And she was working with an advisor and he's like, well, you've got to cross sell your existing customers that, you know, they need lawn care and they need meal delivery. These busy parents that have nannies. And Stephanie like, no, that's not why we got into this business. I got in this business to do payroll for nannies. Anyways, long mm. story short, she decided to take the much harder road, which was to go find more parents who had a nanny. 25 years later, she built it up to just $9 million in revenue. So not a huge business, but a very pure one-trick pony doing one thing better than anyone else. Anyways, Care.com took a look at this business. Wow. Care.com is like the Angie's List of Care Providers. Yeah. Seven million subscribers. They bought her business for fifty-four million dollars. It was a nine million-dollar company. There's no valuation metric that would make that make sense, other than the fact for Care they had seven million subscribers. They could sell Breedloves payroll service too. so it's like a strategic acquisition. But again, if she had made the mistake of cross-selling, you know, being very wide in terms of products, never would have happened.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, John, I'm excited to have this conversation because, you know, obviously I, I have no intention of selling anytime soon, but I, I want to start making smart decisions. So currently right now, uh, you know, our model is that, you, you know, we've got a kind of a joint venture relationship with over 90 Clients, as of when we're recording this right now. So, awesome. um, you know, when they make a sale, I get a commission and it's, you know, things are going well. Um, we're looking at adding, you know, just because now working with all of these clients, um, you know, we're hearing some of the additional needs that they want. So we're going to add in another, um, and I know you're a big fan of kind of a monthly recurring. Uh, subscription uh, service on top of that, you know, outside of the performance, um, you know, aspect to, to our work together. Um, But like, and I know that there's, you know, this is just such a super high level in terms of like where we are right now, but just hearing that is there anything that you would ask, you know, if, if I came to you and I said, you know, I, I need your help. Here's where I'm at. You know, maybe in five years or so, I want to not necessarily, you know, some sort of an exit, perhaps, I don't know. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. But I definitely want to be uh, regardless, like I want to have, I want to be attractive to that possibility uh, regardless if I decide to pull the trigger anytime soon. Absolutely. I mean, recurring
1: revenue is going to be the secret sauce in juicing your valuation. It's where you, you know, turn a valuation from a multiple of EBITDA to a multiple of revenue. So having recurring revenue is going to be critical to the valuation. I'll give an example. There's a guy named Saul Juman who built a company called Policy Map, And he had a partner. They built it up, 500 grand in revenue, and their partnership broke up. At the time, they were transactional. And they valued the company at about one times revenue. Years later, Saul bought his partner out and over time built Policy Medical, but he switched it to recurring revenue. Mm. And when he sold it years later, it traded at seven times top line revenue. Woo. Transactional business at one times. Yes. Subscription base at seven times. So I think you're absolutely going down the right uh, avenue, Josh, to look for as many forms of recurring revenue as you can, in particular ones that are not dependent on you. So if Josh has to show up and provide some sort of service to get the recurring revenue, that's valuable, but less valuable in the eyes of an acquirer than if it's just the, you know, the classic sort of revenue while you sleep kind of idea. And so that's really, you know, a subscription based company. A lot of people, you know, wonder like how do I create subscription revenue if I'm not in an industry that doesn't really lend itself to that. And I think the answer is to segment down, and maybe Josh, you've already done this, but segment down your customers or your partners mm. in this in your case by buying trigger or bio-type. And you might find that you're able to build out a subscription model when you segment down. I'll give you an example. H. Bloom built a great little business selling flowers. They took the flower model and said, okay, how do we sell flowers? Well, at the time you sold flowers through a retail store and they're like, well, we want to actually sell it on subscription. So they looked at all the people who buy flowers uh, you know, mother's day, Valentine's day, et cetera. And there's this one little niche that buys flowers regularly and that's hotels because they Mm -hmm. want that sort of prestigious image. The Ritz Carlton in Miami has the bouquet of flowers. And so they built a subscription for flowers. It never would have happened had they tried to create a subscription for all people who buy flowers. Uh, because we buy flowers for different reasons. And most of us don't need them every day, unless we're really bad husbands. Uh, mm-hmm. But in their case, they figured out hotels were the secret and they built the whole company, H Bloom, on selling flowers to hotels on subscription. Mm-hmm. So I would say, look, take all your customers, segment them down by buying behavior, by the reason they buy from you. And then say, okay, why? how could they buy on a recurring basis? And you might find that there's a, a really meaty offering at a segment level,
0: hmm, yeah, like it. I like it. So when when people obviously you've got now um, three best selling books, or you know you've built to sell, the automatic customer, and now the art of selling your business. Aside from um, obviously being an author, uh, what what do you do? What do you do as a, as a What business on earth author? do you do? Yeah. <laughs> Right, you know what? I run a, a SaaS company called Value
1: Builder, where we help entrepreneurs improve the value of their company, leading to an exit. It's a system with twelve unique steps that enables the business owner to improve the value of their company. ValueBuilder.com. We have a thousand coaches around the world that offer it to their clients. So that's that's what I spend my my time doing as a day job.
0: <laughs> wow. What and what is what does that engagement look like? Yeah. It really, it's about. It's what
1: starts with the value builder questionnaire. Business owners will take that. It takes about 15 minutes and it benchmarks Mm -hmm. them on the eight key drivers of company value. Some of the things we already talked about today, Josh. So like recurring revenue, how well differentiated your product or services, how dependent you are personally on your business, all these sorts of things. And we give you a score out of 100. The average score is 59 when people start. Then there's a system we take people through to improve their score on each of these attributes. For those that graduate with a score of 90 or greater, so these would be sort of our all-stars, they're getting offers that are about double the average performing business. Uh, so there's a real material sort of economic commercial benefit for business owners to go through this process. And, and we offer it through certified value builders, which are a group of, as I mentioned, coaches around the world that that offer it to their clients. So that's the, uh, that's the value builder system.
0: Yeah, um, and and then um, like it, what in terms of like a, a great candidate for that platform or that service? Like, sure. where should they be at? Like, what kind of budget should they have in mind in terms of like engagement as well?
1: Yeah, great question. So it's really a company with between one and ten million in annual revenue. Mm-hmm. Call it ten to. 40 or 50 employees, owner-operated. But the owner's getting that sense that, you know, in the next five or 10 years, maybe I'd like to exit. And they're thinking proactively about having a good exit. They're not one of those owners that are on their back foot reacting. They're saying, no, I'm, I'm proactively wanting to build the value of my company to ultimately sell it in the next five or 10 years. That's a great candidate for us because we've got some runway to work with. Uh, and yeah, I think they, they should budget a thousand bucks a month of coaching is a fair number that uh, that most folks invest uh, over a couple of years to get, to get their business ready to go to market.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so of your books built to sale and then the new one, um, the art of selling your business, like what's the difference between the two or like, so yeah. I guess what, if someone's considering, well, do I read the, the original or do I read the new one? Like, how do you, what, what, what do you recommend for each? Well, uh, uh, by the trilogy. No, <laughs> I think, <laughs> would like you honestly <laughs> just skip right to the third book
1: of Lord of the Rings? Are you, <laughs> exactly. no, listen, um, I think Built to Sell is a great book if you're starting out. If you're trying to figure out how to build a valuable company, in particular, if you're a service business, I think that's a great starting point. Um, the out of customers is about creating recurring revenue. So if you're in a transaction business model right now, and you're like, how do I get this to become more subscription- automatic of customers the way to start. And then if you're more in that, I think in maybe in the next three to five years, I'm ready to pull the trigger, hit eject and sell. Then of course the art of selling your business is really the 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 kind of blueprint for how to get ready to, to go to market. But it's the sort of final chapter. So if you're more in the startup phase, I think built to sell is probably the place to start.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, in, in terms of uh, authority and uh, maybe PR or being known um, is that valuable to to this process? I so so in other words, let's say you got two companies, right? So one, they both have like the same EBITDA, right? The same revenues, same, but but one maybe just has a lot more cachet in the marketplace. Yep. they're just well known, they're sourced. Um, is there any advantage there? Yeah, look, I think it's a double-edged sword. Absolutely. There's a tremendous
1: advantage to your overall brand Halo if if the if the founder themselves has a profile, if the company has a profile mm. for sure. The challenge on the other side is that it is likely that you're going to get locked into an earnout when you sell your company. The choir is going to say, Great, I love this business, but not without Josh, because right, Josh right. has got this great halo. So if you're looking to exit without an earnout, and an earnout for those who don't know is, is simply where a portion of your proceeds are put at risk and you've got to hit a certain target in the future. And so if you're looking for a deal that minimizes your earnout, I think it's okay to still be a spokesperson for your company, but you always want to make sure the brand supersedes you. Mm. So for example, Elon Musk is, you know, arguably the most famous entrepreneur in the world right now, but Tesla's got a pretty good brand. Right. And SpaceX has got a pretty good brand. And so he's working hard and contributing to that, the overall brand. I think what you want to avoid is a situation where you're the brand, Uh, because in that case, the only way you'll sell your business is if you want to. uh, if if you're willing to accept an earnout, so I think I think you just want to be slightly nuanced about your approach about being really front and center. I mean, for example, at Value Builder, uh, like I'm not the CEO of Value Builder. I happen to own it, but that's not what I do. I uh, I do do interviews like this to promote the business, but largely, you know, we've got a whole marketing engine that runs that company. So I'm careful not to try to be too much of the spokesperson for
0: Value Builder, if that makes sense. Trying yeah. to. to to, to parse the two if, as much as I can. Right. Right. So, um, if you still want to be present, uh, and you know, want to be, you want your brand to be known from a, uh, you know, from a PR standpoint, um, would you just have other people within the organization also kind of take a turn behind the microphone? Sure. I mean, you could do that. First of all, I would be really focused on the branding of the products.
1: Yeah. So, you know, especially if your company name is your surname. So if if you're, you know, Jameson and Sons Butchers as yeah, an right, right. example, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you've got a double problem because now you're the, you're the spokesperson, but you're also, your surname is in the company name. And so what you really want to do, I think is, is, is over-invest in the brand itself and make sure that the hero of the story is not you, it's the brand. You may be the spokesperson, you may be telling the story, uh, but in a, you know, a, a, a Star Wars kind of analogy, you're not Luke Skywalker. Uh, you, you know, you've got to make the company. The hero, right? And and the and and you as, as a contributor to that or as an Obi-Wan Kenobi as a as a mm-hmm. sage guide for the company, but the company's the hero of the narrative, I think, if we're thinking in a in a in a kind of marketing hero's journey kind of way. So I think we want to make sure that 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 they, the company's the hero. Uh, like if you think about Johnson and Johnson as a company, which has been in the news lately with all their the you know the vaccine stuff, um, you know, the, the brothers Johnson were actually people. Right. But they worked hard and, and their predecessors worked very hard to build brands like Band-Aid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like baby powder. And those became the dominant brands. And then Johnson Johnson became the sort of supporting or behind the scenes brand, if you will, or the, the kind of secondary. Uh, so I think you just want to really get on your front foot investing in those brands, your company name, in particular, uh if you if your if your surname is your company name, you're gonna to want to make sure that you have products that don't have your company, your surname in them. I guess yeah. if you Johnson Johnson, you want to create Band-Aid.
0: Um so John, in terms of like trends, um, and anything you've noticed maybe over the past handful of years that uh, you've seen, you know, we we were I wasn't really recommending this very often, but I am a lot now just because of some things that we've been seeing in the market. Yeah, I always used to be pretty down on private equity. So private equity is a buyer group.
1: There's three types of buyers out there. There's individual investors who buy companies. You could also sell your company to a private equity group and then you could sell to a strategic. And the, 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 the traditional sort of narrative is that the strategic pays the most. Because the strategic has some strategic reason to buy your company. So for example, Home Depot bought Blinds.com. Uh, they bought them because they wanted to figure out how to sell other products at Home Depot.com. And Blinds.com had figured the secret sauce out for selling complicated products that needed to be installed. That's a strategic acquisition. And Jay Steinfeld, who built Blinds.com, did really well at that acquisition. And I've always kind of crapped on private equity because I, th- I think of them as kind of Wall Street engineers and spreadsheet junkies and you know, not really. Really, the kinds of people that add a lot of value. My tune is changing slightly uh, because I see them rolling up lots of industries. Like there's a private equity roll up in car washes right now, right? Where there's a big private equity group buying up lots of little car washes. There's a private Mm -hmm. equity group buying up dentist practices and optometry practices and like pharmacies and pretty much any business industry you can think of, there's a private equity group that's rolling them up. And in that way, in a roll-up situation, they're acting a little bit more like a strategic. Like if you're buying dental practices and you're buying 50 dental practices a year, well, you can start to enjoy some economy of scale, and you could start to get accretive acquisitions, meaning they can start to uh, make more like a strategic acquisition, even though it's run by a private equity group. So again, one of the you know kind of technical answers to your question, Josh, is is really about. This private equity group thing, if if you see a private equity company doing a roll-up in your industry, it, it they may actually act more like a strategic buyer and therefore pay a premium for your company, and mm. it may actually mm. be a great outcome. So my tune has slightly changed on private equity groups of late.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. All right. So, John, uh, again, the website. Um, and by the way, I uh, I hope you don't mind mentioning. So, valuebuilder.com, we've been talking about that a little bit, um, you know, directly for, um, you know, and there's a I'm looking, there's like a four minute product tour here. There's, um, and you were mentioning something about kind of the, the, kind of the beginning process for that. Yeah. The right? value builder questionnaire.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So you can, you can take that at
1: valuebuilder.com if you want, uh, if you, yeah, uh, not to confuse the URLs, but, uh, mm-hmm. but if you go to built to sell.com and you opt in, meaning you, yeah. you, there's a little free gifts button at the top,
0: right? You'll get an invitation to complete your value builder okay.
1: questionnaire. So That's great, probably great. the best
0: place to. Yeah. So built to sell.com the new book, the art of selling your business. Uh, John Warlow, thank you so much for joining us. Tag us with the hashtag up my influence each month we scour Twitter LinkedIn Facebook and Instagram we pick one winner from each platform and you get crowned king or queen of that social media now what do you win well, we're gonna promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free